yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music on the air and in your ear once again. I am the king of the castle, Mr. Brett Podcast. No, wait, that's the other guy. I'm Mossin. But the other guy is Brett there. Brett, uh, why don't you tell everybody who today's guest is and why he's awesome? Well, I'm, I'm excited to have him back on the show. We spoke to him, gosh, I think it was probably a year or two ago. Uh, we have currently the bassist for YMT. He is Aaron Lee. And, you know, we're excited to talk to Aaron because of his solo work. And today, especially Bahia Sunshine. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. I uh, I don't have any video of, of you guys. I can't see you, so I'm just going to assume everything's all right. It is. It is. It's just okay. Great. As long as we can hear you, then uh, then then that's you know because because the people in podcast land who are listening to this um, they can't see us either, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. All right. So yeah, uh, Bahia Sunshine duoed in a couple of days on July 28th. Uh, tell us about it. Well, it's a uh, it's my latest single, which uh, I had the idea for a rough demo um, a while, long time ago, um, and I revived it and rewrote the lyrics, tracked all the instruments myself, and that's about it. I mean, it's a kind of a, a lean into maybe a T Rex David Bowie vibe um, with a. Uh, Maybe a, a little uh, sprinkle of some some uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, some of those harmonies in there. And uh, yeah. So you know, one of the things I'm interested in is you, you say that you kind of revived it, wrote new lyrics. Like, how difficult is it to write new lyrics to a song if you maybe have something that was already in your head? Is it easy to kind of flush all that out and go back and revisit it? Well, it, it is, it's difficult because you're so accustomed to hearing it a certain way. And, uh, but the thing is, is I just rewrote the verses. I kept the choruses intact, rewrote the verses because it, it, it needed to kind of coincide with how I was feeling at the moment instead of how I felt way back when, when I had those original verses. So uh, most of the best songs ever written are rewritten, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a little while since we've had you on. So, what what have you been doing besides Y and T? Like, has there anything else that's kind of kept you busy? Yeah, I do a lot of acoustic solo gigs around the regional area of California. I keep very busy with that, um, along with you know the regional Y and T gigs that we've uh, kept doing all through Dave Menichetti's cancer treatments. Um, you know, we haven't done <clears throat> any extensive touring since uh mid 2020 uh just for that reason of you know everything was shut down you know as we all know but um even when we came out of that you know dave had his cancer treatments to deal with so we had to stay close <clears throat> so no extensive touring um but yeah i've just been staying busy recording and making music um you know it, when the uh when the time is right and things are are flowing then it's a uh, um, then it's, it, it, I have to take advantage of that. You know, when, when the antenna is up and I'm receiving the message, I got to roll, you know? So that's how Bahia Sunshine really, uh, started to come about was it just felt good. Uh, it did take a little bit to get the arrangement together with the instrumentation because the way I had written it was on an acoustic guitar. And so when you, for me, when I, when I simplify and write like that, and you start to add elements to it, you know, some things could be too much, some things maybe just don't work out. So a lot of arranging going on. And when you hear the track, you can you can definitely hear what I'm talking about. There's a there's a production there. There's a lot going on. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I got a chance to listen to the track just like five minutes ago. And did you uh, <laughs> did you get to hear the whole track or was it just the sample? No, it's the whole track in this case. I, right. I got it. So, yeah, it, it's really good. I, I like it a lot, though. So so it's it's interesting lyrically. Like uh, what what are you kind of trying to to get to with it lyrically? Lyrically, it's not some universal point that I'm trying to make lyrically. It's more of imagery conjuring up images in your mind when you listen to a line or a word and where it might take you um, i really love songs like that that don't have any specific uh, narrowed down uh, meaning you know you can make your own meaning out of it and take for what it is in in your own life and apply that are you playing all the instruments on the track or are you doing everything yes sir 
Wow. Okay, that's that's very impressive. This is anything that you in particular don't feel confident in that you're still working on, or do you feel confident in your abilities and and you know with all instruments and, and making a tune like this? Where do you kind of see yourself? Well, obviously, I feel confident enough to to lay lay it all down and and put it out. You know, so. <laughs> um, but you know, for for me, I I don't have a, a solo band, so you know, it leaves me to my own uh, devices to get in a room and just start creating. And that's really the the point I'd like to make is, you know, I make music for, for myself first and foremost, and just to be creative and stay in that realm as long as I can. Um, it's a good place to be for me. And when it's over, I'm a little disappointed, you know, and then I have to start to think about, all right, well, what's next? What's the next song, you know? Um, but it, I, I feel like it does come in seasons in a sense, you know? So um, I just take advantage of, of the time uh, that is allowed to uh, to create and and just roll forward. But, um, you know, with the instrumentation, like I said, you know, it was uh, going back and forth quite a bit with certain uh, elements in in the track, you know? So how you long? You mentioned having, oh sorry, you mentioned having your antenna up earlier, you know, receiving, and we hear that all the time. People talk about how the music is out there; it's already created. It's just a matter of some people have the antenna that allows them to to focus it, and 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 do you kind of is that how you view it as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just I guess recognizing when uh, things are are flowing. And and don't get in the way of that. Just just let it flow. You know, I was reading uh, Rick Rubin's book recently, which is a great read if you get a chance to read it. It's you know, it, it's not just about music. It's just the creative process. And there were so many things that he mentioned in there that I identified with and that I actually go through in, in a writing process. Um, and and the, the antenna being up is is the first and foremost. You know, if you're kind of blocked off uh, and you got a lot of, uh, let's say, other things going on in your life, you may not be able to receive that message and, and you know, start to uh, get into the creative vibe or, or process. So uh, it's really important to be in the right place to, you know, for me personally to, to write music and then also feel good enough about sharing it and putting it out. Um, you know, a lot of artists write music that just never sees the light of day because, you know, first of all, it's really hard. It's very difficult to get. Uh, ears on any new music these days uh, thanks to you guys who do these things podcasts and and you know these uh, outlets to let people know that it's even there and available uh, that's really cool but it is very difficult you can have a huge name you could be Paul McCartney you could you could Rush could probably come you know uh, Neil <laughs> Peart could come back from the dead and they could put a new record out it'd probably fly under the radar you know so it's just <laughs> it's difficult man True. in this climate you know there's so much of of music just out there yeah that's absolutely true that's right I, wrong when time I'm, when i'm uh listening to a song i tend to most of the time you're talking about the visuals i tend to see things kind of like a music video almost as i'm as i'm listening to a song i, I visualize along with it is is that something you're also doing then if you were talking about the visuals, are you visualizing constantly while you're creating? No, not at all. I can't. I can't get that deep with it. I can't analyze it that much, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it, and but that's great that you know you you listen in that fashion. You know, some people let it just wash over them, and and it just kind of goes over their head as oh yeah, that was a good song. But you know, there's there's some people that listen to music differently, and they will take a certain word and it'll apply an image in their mind and you know or, or a certain phrase or something and then take them somewhere and where they can you know kind of just delve into their own little realm there to to just trip out you know and that's that was really the the intention after the fact after i rewrote the verses to bahia sunshine it, it started to take on its own you know uh visual trip in a sense so yeah that that's uh I was, I guess, if there was any intention behind it, that would be it. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting when, when you know, we we discuss songwriting a lot with people, and and it, and there's so many ways of going about it. Like when it comes down to to doing something, especially all by yourself, like how long does it take you to kind of, you know, write the lyrics and then and then get the music and then do all the different instrumentation. Like how long did this song take you to create? This one was about six months. 
that I was going back and forth with a lot of the production end of it and just getting things to sit right in the mix. Cause you know, I do all my own mixing, mastering. I, I'm a one-stop shop, man. You know, (laughs) I don't, I don't um, have the luxury of, I mean, I, I guess I could, you know, go to buddy studios and have them record everything for me, but I like being in control of the process. And a lot of times too, it's, it's timing. It's like when I feel like doing it, you know? So I do have a little mixing suite here at home that I, I can track in and, and get in there and, and get things done. So that's the approach I take with it. You know, the timing's got to be right. And then do you get like kind of laser focused on a certain song or, or do you, or are you able to flip around a little bit? Well, most times, yeah, I, I really do get laser focused on a, just what I'm working on one track. I like to finish one song at a time and then put it, put it down and then start something else. Uh, in this after right after i finished by his sunshine then i started getting on a roll and i started writing a lot of other uh songs and ideas that were coming to fruition so i will be putting out an ep uh that will be coming out at the end of the year uh early 24 at the latest with six songs and it'll have four brand new songs including by his sunshine and um one track that i had put out back in 21 called live for today which i think brett we talked uh back then about yeah yeah that's right yeah so that's going to be on the physical ep i'm just going to you know press up a bunch of cds because i have the luxury that yt allows me to sell my merch so that's sweet yeah so when we do gigs it's really cool that i can stick my stuff up there on the table and if people are interested they can purchase it there or on my website at aaronlead.com uh, yeah, we I mean, yesterday, even or sorry, we were talking to somebody yesterday and they were mentioning how it's the merchandise that is financially is what keeps you going nowadays. Yeah, it can. You know, when you're on an extensive tour, it definitely offsets the expenses, the costs of touring. Yeah. Well, and then when it comes down to being in, in a band like YNT, I mean, that has that that has that name value, that name recognition, I mean, do you find that people are more likely to try to experiment with your music? Yeah, like I said, you know, it's sort of a luxury uh, that I have with being in YNT, I, I think allows me to get a little help, you know, in, in getting the ears on on my music. I mean, I can only imagine if I wasn't in YNT, I wouldn't be talking to you, you know. <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, yes, you would. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we don't know that, but you know, thank you anyway for having me. <laughs> so then, also, I want to talk about uh, your you know, the vintage rock and roll kind of uh, the acoustic shows that you do. Um, you know what what do you do in those, and uh, and do you change up the sets and kind of just is it how much fun is it to do? Well, it's it's fun when I'm in the moment. <clears throat> and what I do is I, I play a lot of songs that I just personally uh, love and, and have gravitated to over my life. And and the ones that I can sing and play on an acoustic, you know, that's the most important part is if I can even sing the stuff. So it's a, it's I would say 98, 99 percent of covers that I'm doing. Um, and that's why I call it the vintage rock and roll is just, you know, stuff that we've all grown up on stuff we've heard many, many times before, but I go a little deeper with it, which I call the deep end of the pool. You know, you start getting a little deeper with some cuts off certain, you know, from certain artists that you wouldn't necessarily hear if you're just hanging out at a brewery somewhere, you know, and all of a sudden this guy starts playing this stuff. You're going, Whoa, man, wait, that takes me way back. That's cool. You know? Um, and, and once in a while, I will throw in some originals, but it seems in the environment that I do this in it, you know, it's not really uh, set up for just playing all your own original music. You know, you got a got a whole demographic of, of people that spans from kids to old people. So everything in between, you know. So then what are some of those tracks that are that are truly the deep cuts that you listen to and you think like, oh, I just want to play this? Well, one that comes to mind, and, and what's funny is most people haven't even heard the song, but like uh, Woman in Love by Tom Petty, you know, mm. um, I'll pull that out once in a while. And the people that know it just go crazy. And the ones that never even heard the track think I wrote it. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, just just things like that. Like when I talk about deep cuts, um, let's see. Uh, 
you know, if I played uh, Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie or something, um, you know, or a Prince track, you know, a deep cut Prince track, for instance, uh, like Sometimes It Snows in April or um, The Beautiful Ones, or you know, because I'm a huge Prince fan. In fact, I've done uh, when we were doing live streams back when we were all shut down, everyone was doing that live stream thing. Remember that? Yep, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was uh, doing those on a regular basis, and and I actually did a couple Prince tributes, one on his birthday and one on the anniversary of his death, and it was 90 minutes of straight Prince, and, and that was a whole lot of fun. And you can actually even find that on my website as, as well, AaronLee.com. You can go to the videos, and um, I'm pretty sure I have at least one of those performances up there. But yeah, so that's the fun of the acoustic thing. You know, It just allows me to play what I want to play, and hopefully everyone else digs it. Well, and that's and there's certainly nothing wrong with Prince at all. I mean, what a great uh, what a great artist. And I can actually see, you know, especially in like Bahia Sunshine, uh, you know, some of that kind of Prince influence in there. Awesome. So then who else, you know, like when when you look at those other artists and when you look at artists like and you think about lyrically, like what do you try to glean from other people that you kind of can fit into your own mold? Well, that's a deep question. I mean, you know, a lot of times songs hit me and it's a subconscious thing where as I'm writing a song, I might think, oh, this has kind of a T-Rex vibe. Like I, you know, kind of identified that with uh, Bahia Sunshine, just the groove, you know, sort of a bang a gong kind of vibe or, a, you know, or even a, a Bowie vibe with the synthesizers that are going on, you know, um, and the the kind of a Mick Ronson guitar vibe to it you know where it's real kind of sparse but it's it's there you know you know when the big power chord comes in or something you know but um it's it could be you know listening to other people's music and having it rub off on me like anybody is just it, it's a natural thing you know i i probably wear my influences on my sleeve quite a bit but uh you know when it's not like i'm trying to say, hey, I'm going to write a song like T-Rex or, you know, it's, that's not it at all. It's just sometimes after the fact, I'll go, ooh, well, that kind of has that kind of tinge to it, you know, and it's from listening. It's just from from having it ingrained in you for for your whole life, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing at all that, I mean, because all music has been written to to that degree. So it's it's just kind of you know, variations on a theme. And so I think it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with being able to hear the influences in in a person. Absolutely. I mean, Led Zeppelin made a career on it, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Rolling Stones, another example, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So then what do you kind of hope for, um, like long-term out of your solo stuff do you do you have any grand plans or is it more just like you say creating it for yourself and just when you have a song you put it out and that's kind of good enough yeah that's kind of where it stands right now you know if if i was to put put together a band and you know find the right guys to do it with me that'd be great um but i know that that would take a lot of time um you know, a lot of time to put into it, to, to get it the way I'd want it. Um, and then dealing with the fact of getting gigs and things like that, you know, and I'm sure there will be a time for that. Um, I'm, I haven't written it off. It's, it's always in the back of my mind, but with a band like YNT, I have to keep myself available um, and, and make sure that I'm not going to be cross pollinating too much, you know? So that's why I, I do keep the, uh, the acoustic thing, regional, local, um, and when I do release music, I really, you know, I, I don't know if you, I mean, it's really up to the people that interview me when they tag the Y and T stuff in there, you know, with the name, but I really try to just go off my own name and not use Y and T too much to, uh, promote it, you know, um, but, you know, let's say Y and T ends, which I hope never I mean, it'll happen eventually, but it's, you know, not in the near future. That's not going to happen. So right. to answer the question is, I probably won't have a, a live situation with my solo music, you know, in the next year or two, you know, and if it and if I do well, well, then great. But it's definitely just more right now. I just want to put out music and, and share it with people and let them in on on what I'm about musically. 
Yeah, because I mean, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brett. Well, I was just going to say because because you know, musically itself, it it is generally so different from YNT. I mean that that I can appreciate the fact that you can you can play YNT music, but then when you go back, you've got more like almost more of a softer, more introspective side to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's you know definitely doesn't fall in the hard rock realm. You know, it's I mean it's rock music, but it's not. Um, uh, you know, that heavy riff rock, you know, mm-hmm. which, you know, Y&T is known for the great guitar riffs and solos of Mr. Manichetti. And, you know, um, you know, my, my music is, is definitely um, on the other spectrum of, of rock and roll, you know. Well, it sounds like it's very much like uh, the acoustic show scratch one artistic itch for you differently than what you're doing in the studio creating your own music so oh yeah probably haven't, considered, probably haven't considered doing an acoustic album just because your that itch is already being scratched absolutely yeah it's two different things completely uh what's interesting is the acoustic thing that i've been doing since 2012 i've been doing that um uh-huh. i used to have a duo but now i do it solo and you know ynt put out an acoustic record um, back in 2018, I think it was. And we took six songs, classic songs, and, and redid them acoustic style. And the fans' reception to that was really good. And, and it's called Volume 1 for a reason, because there will be a Volume 2. just don't know when, <laughs> but there will be a Volume 2 eventually. Um, and I had a lot to do with that. Uh, just, you know, being on the road, and I would mention to the guys, hey, man, we should, let's take, a, you know, Barroom Boogie and turn it acoustic. And they kind of looked at me like, what? Like, how would we do that? <laughs> well, we did it. And it sounds awesome. You know, how would how would Black Tiger sound acoustic? You know, so I had a lot to do with that. And, and Dave Menichetti, he was really kind of on the fence with it at first. He All the way up to the point where we were in the studio tracking and he was still kind of going, I don't know, man. I don't know. And then as he started to hear the stuff back, he's going, all right, I get it. Now it's working. You know, now I get it. So, uh, you know, with with my acoustic gigs and doing all that stuff prior to even being in YNT, you know, I had something to bring to the table to say, well, in my experience, it seems to re- when you rework a classic song and you strip it down to the elements of the basics, it really hits people in a different way, you know, where they can, um, I guess, dive in deeper with you, you know, and it also opens up a whole new facet to the, to the song. So, you know, where I've heard people mention many times that uh, hearing the lyrics being sang with the acoustic versions on the Y&T acoustic record, they didn't even really know what Dave was saying sometimes. And now they can hear the words, you know, so it draws them in, you know. Yeah, that, that very is very interesting. You know, because I, I as, a, as a person who loves music, but is not a musician, you just think to yourself, OK, they're going to play it acoustically. Just they do everything the same. It's just acoustic now, but it's, it's a much deeper process than that, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I, you were kind of breaking up there. I couldn't really hear the, what you were asking, but I mean, a, a deeper process as, uh, as far as, it, as far as it's not just, uh, not just taking a, an existing song and playing it acoustically. It's reinterpreting it. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's actually taking certain elements out of the original recording and saying, Let's use these elements and then go that direction with it, you know, because you can't put it all in there. Those are big productions as well. I mean, you know, with the mix and the bombastic sound coming out of the speakers, you know, so definitely has a whole different vibe to it. But um, we had a lot of fun making it. And, you know, hopefully you guys uh, would get a chance to hear that as well. The, uh, if you haven't heard it already, uh, Y&T Acoustic Classics Volume 1. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, I think I, I have heard it. I'm sure I've heard it because I have a uh, track list that is all acoustic albums because I love them so much. So I, I know I've heard it. But uh, as you mentioned, it's it's different. It's a day and age where so much gets put out that uh, I I haven't put it on my regular playlist. You can damn well bet I'll be listening to it shortly after we get off tonight. Yeah, cool, cool. And and I uh, did the mix on it. And, uh, you know, so we kept it all in house and, uh, you know, and I was the one pushing to get it pressed up on vinyl and, (laughs) 
I basically, you know, I was riding these guys like, you know, come on, man, let's do this. Let's do that. I was all excited <laughs> about it, you know. They probably love it. Yeah, yeah. No, we had a lot of fun doing it. Hopefully we can dig up some time to to make volume two. And you can find that as well at yntrocks.com. Nice. When when you're working with YNT, like, I mean, you talked earlier about the idea of working, of like kind of being in control of your own music. So when you're working with YNT, like, I mean, yes, you play bass, but like, kind of how do the, like, what do they ask you to do? Like, like, is it just, do you go in there and you say like, other than this case where you're where you're actually mixing it and stuff like that but you just go in and say like okay i'm the bassist and that's that's it or do do, does it does it feel like a a real collaborative thing well uh, it sounds like you're asking an indirect question if like let's say if we were writing music together which we haven't done yet um so my job in y&t obviously is just to replicate phil kenimore the great you know Phil Kenamore, his bass lines and and bring that to life to uh, make the music, you know, happen. So that's my job in the band is it's really just to, uh, you know, try to be uh, uh, as close as possible to the original bass lines. You know, I mean, I've heard other bass players, let's say, or even guitar, whatever musicians that are in, let's say, uh, classic bands, you know, that they'll do their own interpretations and they, they they miss things like those key elements that I'm so used to hearing on the records. And I don't want to be that guy. I want whoever hears who's going to hear Y&T, they, they, everything's intact, you know? So that's my job and that's what is expected out of me. Now, when we get into a room eventually, hopefully soon, sooner than later to write music together, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how that's going to go. You know, I think it'll just be a, a hodgepodge of everyone just kind of throwing a bunch of ideas into the room and, and seeing what sticks and um, what we can grab out of the thin air and, and take further. You know? And then I guess when it comes down to like uh, when, it, when you were doing acoustic classics, like, you know, what do you think of when you're producing and doing that for a guy like Dave Manichetti? Well, to, to make sure that his voice sounds great. Um, you know, where his voice is, is right on top of the music and, you know, you can really hear all that throaty stuff he does. And, you know, just the like if you were in the room with him, you know, so if you put on a pair of headphones, you listen to that. You're, it's like he's singing right into your head. you know. Um, but that was the most important element to me, especially being a stripped down, having stripped down versions of those classic songs. You know, the voice is the most important part. And then what do you, on the flip side, oh, go ahead, Brett. I was going to say, like, what do you think of when you, when you then are recording yourself for, for Bahia Sunshine? Now that's more difficult <laughs> because, you know, there's been times since I work by myself and I don't have a producer sitting next to me or someone I can bounce off of, it becomes difficult and it becomes challenging and second guessing. Um, so I have to go with my gut instincts on what are important elements that I want to stick out or, you know, be a main part or, you know, because it's sort of, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just repeating what so many other people have said throughout history when it comes to music, it's a lot like painting and using colors, you know, you use a big bright red, that's going to stick out more than a black or, but it depends on how you layer it, you know, you put it on top or behind or what. So when you're mixing, it's a lot like that, you know, I, I see colors a lot of times. I heard Jimi Hendrix say that many times in interviews, you know, I, I want a little more purple, <laughs> you know, <laughs> give me a little more orange or something, but I know what he's talking about. And it, and it does apply in that realm of, of, let's say when you're mixing a song, you know, what elements that do you want to really stick out on top, you know, and obviously the voice is always going to be the most important thing you got to put up, which being, you know, that, I'm the singer of my own music. I tend to put my voice a little behind or with the music. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, you probably did, but when you listen to old records from the sixties, seventies, and even in the eighties, man, the voice would kind of be right with the music. And nowadays the voice is right on top of the music and it's a lot louder and it sticks out a lot more. And I know there's reasons for that. And we don't have to get all deep with that, but 
you know? So I do come from that old school sense of kind of blending the voice with the music instead of having the voice so much louder than the music. So I want the music also to feel like it's one with the voice. Um, so that's, that can be difficult, you know, as a mixing guy. So what I do is at that point, I will send it off to some buddies and, I, and I'll get some feedback and say, Hey, what do you think, man? You think I should bring it up a couple DB on the voice or something? And I'll mention one guy that I do bounce off of pretty regularly when I'm writing is Frank Hannon from Tesla. Mm. And he's actually played on a couple tracks of mine. He played on my first single insanity. He played a guitar, some guitar solos on that. And he also played on live for today, uh, the guitar solos on that track. And he's really good about that. Giving me some, some honest insight, you know, cause he does the same thing with his music. You know, he's, he's his own producer. And so he runs into the same problem. So he understands, you know, when I want to ask him something, you know, get his opinion or something. So, um, but I don't have that luxury of having someone sitting right next to me and, and guiding me through, you know, it's all gut instinct, man. Well, and that's one of the beautiful things about Frank Hannon too, is that he does that for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was in his solo band for yeah. a few years there. And I learned a lot from Frank. I mean, he's one of my mentors that I just, you know, I have so much respect for the man and he's a golden hearted person and he's helped me quite a bit in my own career. It's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, how your music, uh, how the song, the, the voice isn't on top of the music. Because now that you said it, I can totally see that element in this, all the songs, which is not something I was consciously aware of before. But it makes me want to go back and listen to everything again, just to hear it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, for instance, like one of my favorite Stone Temple Pilots records is Shangri-La Da. I don't know if you're familiar with that record. Mm -hmm. Whelan's voice is almost buried in, in the mix. Yeah, that's right. At points. And, and, and I love that. Because it, it it almost makes you want to listen harder, so you're you're listening more intense, you know, like more intently to what is he saying there? What is that? That's you know, what are those words that he's putting out there? So there's, I guess, some pros and cons to that approach, and but you don't want your listener to struggle either to hear what you're what you got to say if it you know matters or not. You know, you can be singing ABCs and you know right. if it's buried in the mix too far you're not going to understand it's abcs but you know what i'm saying it's uh there's a fine line i guess to that you know it, it feels yeah, like nobody knew what they were saying <laughs> nobody knew what they're saying Willie bully it was still a hit yeah yeah i mean when it's when it's simplified like that you know you get it especially when it's the title of the song you know what they're saying but you know and, and even a lot of zeppelin records when you go back and you listen to let's say zeppelin 2 um robert's voice is very just right in line with the music it's not really sitting hardcore on top of it it's a nice blend i mm -hmm. like that well it, it almost makes it bringing that up yeah i appreciate you bringing that up because it's something i'm going to be aware of that i was never aware of before cool cool yeah, yeah it's it, a great it, conversation man i like i like talking i like talking music and sometimes not even about my own <laughs> yeah, well, and that's exactly it. Like, but but it feels to me like like it almost makes it more of a band thing instead of a singer singing over top of the band playing. Yeah, yeah, that could be. But yes, I th I do think it's probably a bit of a lost art on on doing it just like that because you know because I think that you know, lead singer's disease and all that. So we managed to kind of move into an era where where the singer gets in and it's just like, oh, crank that up just a little bit. Crank that up just a little bit. Right, right. Well, you know, and that's cool too. You know, it's, it's all artistic approach. And if that's what they're going for, man, then, you know, like I said before, it's, it's kind of uh, like painting, you know, colors and, you know, the contrast of it. You know, if there's no contrast to the music, no dynamics, I guess, then, you know, it's just you're being pummeled with sound. And honestly, that's what I don't like in, in newer rock music these days is that, honestly, man, a lot of the mixes to me just sound the same. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a lot like pop country in a sense now that sounds like everyone's using the same plugins and the same this and that. And it, it just 
you know, same snare tones and just, um, and, and it's not a knock on anyone. I mean, that's their own trip. You know, if that's the way they want to approach their music, but you know, I, it's, it starts to run the same sound and, and it, it it's fatiguing sometimes to listen to, let's say a hard rock track. And it's just this constant pummeling. And it's, you know, when you're done listening, you kind of feel tired. You know, I don't want someone to feel tired after listening to my song. I want them to want to play it again. You know, mm-hmm. no, exactly. And, and I felt that way for sure. You know, where you just listen to an entire album and it's just like, okay, I just listened to an album. It all sounded the same. I couldn't really tell you which track was which track. And and I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just the wash of sound, you know, mm-hmm. so much, just, just uh, everything's so, let's say compressed or, you know, everything's just so slammed with a limiter to, you know, get it louder and stuff, which these days loudness doesn't even matter anymore since things are streamed, you know? And I've always believed that, you know, if you're going to play a CD in your car and if it's a little lower than the CD, the previous CD you put in, just turn up your volume. You yes. Know? Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's a, here's a question for you. What color is Bahia Sunshine then? Orange. All right. That's kind of what I figured it would be. To to me, it was red. (laughs) Well, you know, let's just say this. Red, yellow, and orange all mixed together and then set on black. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Yeah, when I'm also seeing the visuals, I also see colors along with it. So it's very interesting. I, I, uh, to, To think about the colors of the different songs from you now, you know, again, it, I'm going to be going back. I'm going to be listening to a lot of your stuff right after this. Well, great. I would, I would love to hear your feedback as well. You know, if you want to get in touch or something, hit me up on the socials or something. I would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. And earlier too, you were talking about reading Rick Rubin's book and, and I'm like, I love reading books about music. Like, is that something that you find yourself doing a lot is like reading, reading books from musicians? or in this case, producers? Well, yeah, I, I really enjoy reading biographies. I, I'm not a, I love reading books. I'm not into reading uh, fantasy novels and things like that. I like reading stuff that I can take something from it that I've learned out of it, um, that I can apply to my life and use as a tool. Um, so when I read biographies on other musicians, there's always something you can pull and and learn from, you know? I mean, it's, there's a lot, of it that is the same but yet so different because it's just approached differently by different people and mm-hmm. and that's the common thread you know it is a lot the same but so different and and that's the beauty of it you know it's crazy that there's so much music out there and there's so much different styles of it but yet there's only so many notes oh i know i it's it's amazing that you can take it and just it's so malleable and and then so so worldwide you know so so human one of the books that i was reading was uh was by the producer phil ramon and i actually found I that think i lost was... you guys oh are you back now yeah yeah i can hear you good yeah i was i was just saying how music can be just you know it, it's so interesting how it can be so malleable but and then so so human and so worldwide yeah yeah it, it's a it's the universal language and you know i can't even imagine a life without it so when i meet someone that isn't like really into music i find it hard to even relate to them or talk to them mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah quite honestly you know uh-huh. um, it, it, it's it, that's foreign to me that is completely alien to me that if if you know i can't relate on a level with you musically then um even in the smallest lowest level you know i i have met people like that it's incredible that oh no music's not really that important to me but you know i like this taylor swift song you know whatever (laughs) 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 but yeah and then Uh, we don't want to insult anybody but i don't well no 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 hey taylor swift is is kicking ass man (laughs) yeah more power to her man that's right that's right go taylor No, no, that's right. She's doing fine. She's got it. She's she's doing great. She's paying everyone on Spotify now. (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, one of the, I was going to say one of the books that I read uh, that I found very interesting was by Phil Ramon, uh, his book about uh, about producing and stuff like that. There was a lot of interesting stuff in there. Cool. I, I'd like to check that out. Yeah, I think, you know, because these things, like you say, you can absolutely pick something interesting. And, and I mean, even just for us, it's it's just so neat to to read about this because it because it, it just gives us a deeper knowledge going forward, you know, with music and just so that we can talk to you on a on a different level as well. Yeah, which I appreciate, you know, uh, I, I, I enjoy talking about music and breaking it down. Like I said, it doesn't even have to be about my own music. It can be anybody's music um, and just music in general. You know, it's, it's always a, a great topic to, to just kind of break it down and have fun with. Well, I mean, I think in a lot of ways for us, the, the, mm -hmm. the thing is it's in the studio. It is that process in the studio of trying to understand that. I mean, we can see when a group is on stage, we can see the interactions and the chemistry. We can see things and feel it, and we can feel it in the album. But the actual moment of the creation of the time in the studio, how that works, is kind of still the uh, the forbidden door that needs to be opened. I think that that is just kind of where the mystery lies. Yeah, it seems it, it, seem, it seems that the the veil is being pulled back more often now. You know, which is cool because with all the young musicians that are carrying the torch. You know, they can kind of see uh, how it's done uh, from being, you know, let's say Foo Fighters, for instance. You know, like I'm sure there's so many young musicians today that are influenced by the Foo Fighters and how uh, Dave Grohl has been so, I guess, open book in a sense when it comes to that band uh, where people can, you know, take a look inside the, the studio and the door. You know, uh, that's what I really respect about that band, man. They really leave it wide open, man. It's really cool. Yeah, it it is a it's wonderful, and I and I think that's the positive thing too about about the internet and about social media and stuff like that is it's given the fans definitely more access to the artists, and and I think it's good that the artists are reciprocating. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it, when when you got a, a phone and everyone's got a phone in their hand, stuff's gonna get out there, <laughs> whether yeah. you want to do or not. You know, that's for sure. So then when you're playing, you know, uh, just just before we let you go, when you're playing, like how many instruments do you have? And then and then how many like how many guitars do you have? How many basses do you have? And do you have ones that are kind of your favorites? Well, I mean, I've got enough instruments. Let's just put it that way. I'm not a, a big collector. I know guys, man, that have hundreds of instruments. But how much time in a day do you have to play those instruments? And how many do you really need to make music? You know, so I do have my favorites and I just have what I need. Um, as much as I, you know, I'll get on a, on a website and I'll see stuff and I'll be like, I want that and I want that. But it's like, do I need it? No, I don't need it. You know, to get my point across, I already have what I need. Um, but like basses, for instance, my go-to bass are the old Ibanez 1987 RB850s. When I started playing bass when I was 14 years old, that's what I started playing on. I mean, I had other basses too when I first started, but that was the first one that I, I felt like was an extension of myself. So uh, what I did is, is when I got in Y&T, I went on eBay and I bought up a whole bunch of them because that's when I was learning Y&T songs on bass when I was 14, 15 years old, playing a Black Tiger, and those were the basses that I was playing at the time. So I wanted that vibe and feeling of being that young kid playing these songs and how much joy I got out of it, you know, learning. Um, and now I'm standing on stage next to the man that wrote the stuff and playing that same bass. So... Those are my favorite bases. I mean, there's so many great bases, and Ibanez makes all kinds of great bases. Um, but I've got some Fenders, I've got some Gibsons, I got some Epiphones, got uh, you know, just just uh, random bases laying around. Um, <laughs> I, I when I do my acoustic shows, I prefer twelve strings. I, I'm known for acoustic twelve strings. I got this really nice Gretsch Jumbo. In fact, uh, I'm staring at it right now. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a real acoustic 12 string guy. That's, I mean, you know, a six string is a necessity, obviously, but the 12, man, it just takes it over the top for me. Um, but yeah, yeah. Is the Gretsch, I've heard that the Gretsch is harder to play than than some other guitars. Well, I think a 12 string in general for some people is probably a little harder to navigate um, than a six string. You know, you're going to have a fatter neck on a 12 string, but I'm a bass player. So it, it, you know, it feels to me like a piece of wood in your hand, like a bass, you know, so I've just already kind of got that feel for it. Uh, the strings are bigger on a bass and you got, you know, on a 12 string, you just, the, the strings probably feel to some guitar players just a little more because there's more strings, you know, so <laughs> Uh, but it, it makes sense for me totally and and being a solo guy doing that acoustic stuff it really fattens up the sound it makes it it sounds like a whole band honestly i mean it sounds like uh you know there's three guitars going at once or something well so there's are... a piece of wood in your hands that piece of wood in your hands it sounds there's a joke there basically uh... i'm too classy to do it <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's i that's wasn't true. even going i wasn't even going there man wasn't i didn't even think of that but thank you <laughs> I'm always thinking of that, to be honest. I... <laughs> Aaron, it's been great talking to you. Uh, always, always a good time. We do want to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can find Bahia Sunshine, how they can keep up with you, and all of that stuff. Yeah, so Bahia Sunshine, July 28th, this Friday. Um, it will be available anywhere you listen to or consume your music. and. You can get anything else if you're interested at AaronLee.com. Uh, anything to do with Y and T, you can get at Y and A N D T Y N T dot com. And uh, hit me up on the socials, the Instagram. I don't do the Twitter thing, but uh, Instagram and Facebook, I'm on. Awesome. Well, I urge everybody to go out and listen to it uh, once they can because it's a wonderful song, and I think that uh, that it deserves the ears on it. So. Thank you so much for being on the show. We do appreciate it. And I know that we will talk again. Brett, Mo, and thank you guys so much for having me, man. This was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank awesome. you so much. Thank we did too. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Bye for Take now. Take care. Bye. Yeah.